that the trained staff practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or country move. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schurz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. If you deal with direct primary care, direct access to doctors, and we've talked about health savings accounts, and we've also talked about Atlas MD, Dr. Josh Umber, and Dr. Lee S. Gross. Working, Dr. Gross, that's the point. Yeah, it's working everyone. What I think you know, people really need to understand is that you know this is not a decision between you know uh, the Affordable Care Act. I mean, we want to go down. You're listening to the Doctors' Lounge on America's Web Radio. You're in the right place. Keep listening. You know, at a time where people are able to choose their healthcare decisions based upon their individual DNA, we're going to take a one-size-fits-all approach to healthcare. It doesn't make any sense. And you know. Democrats don't want their health care chosen by Donald Trump any more than Republicans want their health care chosen by, you know, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. So, you know, why are we inserting the politicians into health care with a, with a government-controlled health care system when you can have, you know, a better way through a direct primary care relationship? Where you're this not is the thing. We, we've, this is the failure of Obamacare. You spend billions and billions more, and you get far inferior care because it never really was about the patient. So you are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Dr. Mike Karuchak, your host, delighted to be with you today on America's Web Radio in the Doctor's Lounge, sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So what did you just hear? I guess if you look at the last show I did, I guess I ended up sort of slipping into this mode of uh, using, coming up with cryptic beginnings to the show. I, I hope that's a good thing. At least it keeps things a little bit interesting. But what you just heard is something very, very important. You heard our president, Dr. Lee Gross, president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, on national syndicated radio with Sean Hannity. And that has happened this month, not once, but twice on the 9th of October and just the other day on the 15th of October. Uh, and there are future plans in the works, which I'm not supposed to talk about, so I'll try and be a good boy and not go there. But uh, neat stuff is coming along very, very nicely for the foundation, mainly because of the, the tireless efforts of, uh, of Dr. Gross. And, and you know, uh, look, I'm a doc. I'm a surgeon. I, I, you know, 18-hour days don't aren't a big deal. 50, 60, 70, 80-hour work weeks aren't a big deal. But even with that perspective, I don't know how Lee does it. I don't know how he gets to all these talks and presentations and now national syndicated radio appearances and still manages to see patients, which is our primary purpose in life, uh, and be able to you know keep things going in his business and at home. I, I, I say it too many times. I'm never going to get tired of saying it, and I hope you don't get tired of hearing it, but I take my hat off to that man. But I, in listening to this, I was struck by one particular line that Lee said, which is that he and, – and this emphasizes the – the bipartisan nature 
of what we're talking about here because it's easy to slip and think to, to slip conceptually slip mentally and think that in the doctor patient care foundation that we are promoting something partisan that we're promoting something conservative or even republican and we say this a million times too and we'll repeat this a million times till we're blue in the face that is not true and what did lee say he said americans don't want their health care chosen by Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi. He specified it a little more. He said Democrats don't want Trump choosing their care. Republicans don't want Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer choosing their care. I would hazard a guess that, you know, wherever you're coming from, you don't want either one of them choosing your care. I would hazard a guess it's not even partisan at all. But that's the point, is that direct primary care, our major talking point in the Doctor Patient Care Foundation is not partisan. It is universal. And it is catching on like wildfire. And I am uh, delighted. I am excited. I am awed uh, by the work that my, my fellow board members are doing. Uh, they, they are dwarfing anything that I do. I stick by the microphone here and do the show, and I'm delighted to do that. Hal does the same thing, but the two of them, uh, you know, I don't know how they do it, but... Uh, but I think, thanks to largely their hard work, that we are uh, we're coming up on on a tipping point. I, I, it may be an overcall to say it's the tipping point, but you've got to wonder when you know we've we've reached the point where Dr. Lee has gone to the White House two or three times. Um, Dr. Hal and I had the honor and pleasure, thanks to Dr. Gross, of getting invited to the White House, and we went on the 11th of October, just week before last, and. Uh, and so we're making our presence known. Uh, things are happening. The folks who need to listen are beginning to listen, uh, and it is an exciting time indeed. And this comes uh, – oh, and, and I'm not even done yet. Heck, I'm jumping ahead of myself. And Dr. Gross, you remember, we had him on the show when he was about – to testify before Congress about health care and direct primary care, and that was canceled at the last minute because of the uh, Kavanaugh hearings. Well, uh, I, once again, the impossible has appeared to have happened, which is that it actually got rescheduled, number one, which I don't think anyone expected, and it got rescheduled fairly quickly, as in November 28th, about six weeks. So Dr. Gross will get his chance to testify, and I promise you, if we don't have him on sooner, we will have him on for that to do to uh, for him to chronicle for us his adventures during congressional testimony. So neat things are happening. Uh, we have certainly broken through a glass ceiling of sorts uh, after you know for some of us you know eight or nine years of work in these issues, uh, and so it is a it's a very very exciting thing indeed, and the timing could not be better. Because in, I guess, a week, a generous week, a week from Thursday, a week from tomorrow, uh, begins uh, our annual, third annual, um, meeting on direct primary care. Sponsored by the Doctor Patient Care Foundation, sponsored by the Physicians Foundation, and we thank them for their generous support of the meeting. And uh, we have a sellout. In fact, we have beyond a sellout. I think we have standing room only. Uh, these tickets sold out very, very quickly, and uh, we have way more sponsors than we had last year. We have way more attendees than we had last year, and a program that I'm going to review for you in a minute um, that is absolutely stellar. Uh, and we will be there, I will be there, uh, doing 
the Docs for Patient Care Foundation Doctors Lounge radio show, this show, uh, from a booth uh, near the exhibitors, and we will we will. I don't think I can call it live because we're only on Thursday mornings, but we will be creating material for the show that we will gradually put on the air over time and create several months of really, really exciting material. But the neat thing is we're taking the show itself to sort of a higher level because in past years, the past two years, we've done these things sort of, you know, at a table in an alcove, in a broom closet. We've looked for places that we could sort of do the show to record discreetly without occupying room or taking up resources. And now with uh, the good fortune and the grace of God that has smiled upon us, uh, we are going to do the show in a much grander way, and we're going to put it front and center, which I am most grateful for. So let's, without further ado, move on to what the program for next week's uh, Direct Primary Care Conference 3.0. That's the title, right? Third Annual Meeting, Direct Primary Care Conference 3.0. Uh, and this will begin uh, on Thursday evening with a cocktail party. Fine. Uh, the main me- meeting starts Friday morning, and that's when I'm going to get there. I'm working all day Thursday, so i got to bag on the cocktail party because i got patients to see, and that's the way it goes. Um, registration at 7 o'clock. Uh, Hal is going to uh, kick things off at 8 o'clock with introductions, uh, along with uh, Tim Norbeck, who is one of the uh, trustees of the uh, uh, Physicians Foundation, or a board member, I should say, of the Physicians Foundation. Um, and then we delve into material very quickly. Uh, and you're going to, you know, this may sound a little bit laborious reading through an agenda, but I'm going to highlight certain things and hopefully stick with me and indulge me. Give me five minutes and I think we'll get this right. Uh, opening uh, lectures, uh, Dr. Paul Thomas, understanding how to be the doctor you want to be. Why does that matter? Well, because if you're a physician, you understand this. If you're not a physician, it will help you to understand this. But, but none of us, almost none of us, in medicine now are the doctor we want to be. I'm not the doctor I want to be because I'm spending too much time on insurance. I'm spending too much time on electronic medical records. I'm spending too much time on paperwork. I'm spending too much time pulling my hair out because I can't do for patients what I want to do for patients. Um, I, I could torture you with stories just this week about a patient who came up from the Florida Panhandle, uh, who was a refugee from Hurricane Michael, needed an operation, was going to get it in the Panhandle. The hurricane wiped that out. We wanted to take care of her, and we had one heck of a time trying to do it. And I guess I ended up torturing you with the story anyway, but but there you go. But understanding. So this lecture is on understanding how to be the doctor you want to be, which for us as doctors and for you as patients, if you're not interested in this, you need to be. If you're not concerned about this, you need to be. Um, but you, your doctor needs to be empowered and your doctor needs to be able to do the things that they need to do to take care of you, the patient. And that's part of what this lecture as the lead-off topic is all about. Next, Dr. Helen McKnight is going to talk about something distinct but related, which is to discuss empowering physicians to be change leaders. Now, this is a big deal, too. Why is it? I mean, that sounds like a very nebulous, boring topic. How do you be a, a change leader? And what does it even really mean? Well, doctors by both self-selection and training um, are generally not change leaders, right? We are taught through four years of medical school and residency varying from three to ten years following that how things are done. And there's not a lot of allowance culturally for change leadership. 
Um, it, it is basically this is how you treat X disease, this is how you treat Y disease, this is how you take those rules and bend them uh, and modify them so that you can treat into each individual patient the way they need to be treated, but at a not so much a scientific level because we all, you know, the medical field does research, we get better drugs, better operations, better treatments, and we're all open-minded to that. But from a cultural standpoint, to look at the healthcare system and say, this needs fixing. And I, as an individual physician, I'm going to take a personal risk to step out and advocate for change is not something that is empowered in general in medical training. So this is a big deal to us, and so empowering physicians to be change leaders is a big deal. Uh, to me, I don't know what the lecture is exactly going to be on, but to me the biggest element is personal risk. Next, Dr. Jess Umber, who is on with Dr. Lee Gross on the Sean Hannity show on these two dates. Uh, you know, he's obviously another superstar in direct primary care, and uh, he's going to talk about implementing value and defining the winning formula. And again, for doctors, that's a big deal because now we're stepping out of the model we're all used to, which is that you provide the best care that, that, that you can, you bill insurance, and then you have to move on. Um, when you get to where the patient's actually now your customer, right? It's not the insurance company that's your customer. It's the patient who's your customer. Um, that proposition becomes, quite frankly, a little terrifying. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. You're listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Dr. Mike Karuchak at your service. This segment on America's Web Radio sponsored by the Doctor for Patient Care Foundation. Uh, I'm delighted to be with you today. It's an honor and a pleasure. Uh, we will continue our discussion from the last segment. We were going through the agenda for our upcoming Direct Primary Care Conference 3.0, and I was trying to dive in a little bit. Reading an agenda sounds awfully boring, so we were trying to bring some life into this as, as you read it, where no matter how great your agenda is, it's going to be a bit sterile unless you really work hard at it. So we were talking about the third of in the series of lectures that will be happening on Friday morning, November 2nd, a week from uh, Friday, 
and talking about Josh Umber's lecture, right? Josh Umber and Lee Gross appeared together on the Sean Hannity Show on two occasions. I imagine there will be more to follow. Uh, and talking about implementing value and defining the winning formula in direct primary care. And, and my closing sentence at the end of the last segment was, I find some of that a little bit terrifying. Now, why would I find that terrifying? Because doctors have never worked in a fully free market before. We've never had to compete on price before because, as you know, as a listener of this program, that price is a big secret. Uh, you can't find it. Often, no matter how hard you look, it's very difficult to find what your doctor's going to charge. If you're having an operation, what the anesthesiologist and the facility are going to charge. How much does a treatment cost? Uh, and the answer is usually, don't worry, it's covered. Well, we know, and you know if you've been listening to the show, that that answer is simply unacceptable. So how do you get beyond that? And as a seller of healthcare services, which is what we're going to become, and I don't care if you're a primary care or specialist or you consider yourself somewhere in between, uh, the question will be, how do we compete with our peers? Because we'll be doing that for the very first time. We'll be posting our prices next to our competitors that will be posting our prices. And if my price is higher than the doctor across the street, how do I justify the higher price? How do I do that? You know, with, we know how to do that with cars and cell phones and flat screen TVs and, and lawn mowers. Yes, uh, but how do you do it with doctors? How's that going to shake out? What's going to happen to prices? Will they be forced down, down, down? Will they stay stable? So, you know, when Josh talks about what the winning formula is and how to offer value to the patient who will be, for the first time, the one who pays for the service as well as the one who receives the service, I'll be anxious to hear what Josh has to say. Next uh, lecture at 920, Dr. Chad Savage, another DPC superstar, talking about how investing in direct primary care saves money. And that's a big deal because it does save money. The, the, the biggest thing that you'll save as a direct primary care doctor is that you don't have to support the insurance-based revenue cycle. Right, That's not my term. That's the industry term for filing a claim, pursuing the claim, getting the payment, checking it for compliance, going around to appeal if you have to. There's a huge amount of very complex, very expensive steps that go on behind the scenes when you go see the doctor that sucks huge amounts of money out of the system and it adds no value whatsoever to the care itself. So how do you remedy that? Well, I think Chad's going to talk about that. And then there'll be some Q&A. So then we go to the next section, which will be the, the legal section. And there is significant legal issues with direct primary care. And I promise you those will come to the forefront when direct primary care reaches a critical mass and the insurance industry takes notice, you will see the legal issues come up. So um, uh, Dr. Howell's going to moderate the panel. Dr. Phil Eskew is going to, uh, is going to present um, and uh, following that presentation, we will have somebody, and I'm not at liberty to say exactly who, I think it's going to be a big surprise, but we're going to have somebody very high up, very noteworthy from the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington will be coming down to give a lunch keynote lecture. So I, that will obviously, having somebody high up from HHS come and speak to this group about a topic important to this group is, again, worth the trip all by itself. Uh, following that, Dr. Keith Smith, who founder of Oklahoma Surgery Center, will be talking about uh, problems with the healthcare and hospital system. Again, he's ideally suited to talk about that because you know where are surgeries, where are operations, 
usually performed, well, in a hospital or an ambulatory surgery center or something. And so, you know, why is the Oklahoma Surgery Center so good at providing more value for less cost? And he's going to go through, and I, you know, I can predict, I think, part of what's going to be on there, but again, he knows more about it than about anybody else. So we're going to hear why traditional hospital settings are so inefficient and how a cash-based fee-for-service system uh, fixes that. Next, uh, we're going to hear from Jay Kempton, uh, how to learn to work with direct primary care friendly employers, third-party administrators, and self-funded plans. Okay, so why is this important? Because if you have a direct primary care practice, you need to get that out in the healthcare marketplace, and the healthcare marketplace is generally insurance-based. So what happens? As an employer... Right, And I, as a partner in a medical practice, I am a employer, along with my other six partners. What do we do? Well, we go out to the healthcare marketplace through a broker, and we obtain our health insurance. And that gets shopped every year, et cetera, et cetera. But if direct primary care doesn't make a presence in that space, then no one will come to you because nobody even knows you're there. So you need to be able to market to employers, and you do that through their brokers and through third-party administrators and through the folks who self-fund through a third-party administrator. So you have to engage employers at some level if you want to build your patient base, and that's something that has to be invented from scratch because there is no obvious model for how to bring direct primary care practices and employers Together. Now, you can fight your way through the individual markets, but that can be difficult picking up patients one at a time, two at a time. Not impossible, but you've got to have the other avenues covered. Then Dr. Lee Gross will talk about breaking the cost curve. I've heard that lecture before. It's a fantastic lecture. I, mean, I think I've heard it. Maybe he's going to add something new. Um, again, the idea is how do you make health care cost less, right? That's the fundamental problem. And that sounds obvious in the vacuum of a show like this, but it's amazing how many folks, including those inside the Beltway in Washington, don't understand that. Remember all of the discussions that happened in 2017 when the Obamacare repeal was attempted and was failed times two. What was the problem? They weren't talking about cost. They were talking about coverage, and those are different the more you cover, the more things cost. The more things cost, the harder it is to cover, and it's a to get coverage for things that cost more. And so, you know, you can you can beat the game in the short term by pumping money into your coverage, but eventually the cost will bite you. And that's been the struggle over the past fifty years. So, breaking the cost curve is a very, very big deal from a macro perspective, a top-down perspective, looking at healthcare. Next on the agenda will be yours truly. We will be doing uh, an episode of the doc. Uh, uh, I'm tripping over my own tongue here. We will be doing an episode of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation Doctors Lounge Radio Show uh, at 3:40 with Del Bellis, the founder of Liberty HealthShare, describing health sharing ministries. Now, for those of you who don't know what HealthShare is, this is an alternative model to insurance to cover catastrophic expenses, and it's a pure model, right? I mean, what's supposed to happen with insurance? All the folks who buy into the insurance chip in money into a pot. When claims come, they pull the money out of the pot. And you have a lot of people chipping in for claims that are rare, and the model works. 
So this is it's a little purer than health system insurance proper. Um, I do not fully understand it, so I will be looking forward to the lecture, but my, my rough impression, uh, self-admittedly being uneducated about this, is just kind of the difference between the bank and a credit union. So we will see. But we will be interviewing um, Del Bellis uh, and recording an episode of the Docs, uh, the Doctor's Lounge uh, radio show, and, and that will be interesting. And that will be the end of the day, and then in the evening, of course, one of the highest points of the day, which will be a, a keynote dinner lecture by Grace Marie Turner. For those of you who have listened to the show, founder of the Galen Institute, definitely a friend of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, and... She will be giving a lecture on the legislative landscape for healthcare, uh, you know, coming out of Washington D.C. So that's a, you know an obviously uh, relevant topic. Uh, it will be very solid, and coming from her, it will be excellent. I have no doubt. So that concludes the Friday program. We then have a half day on Saturday, uh, and Saturday will be two breakout sessions, right? You can attend session one or session two. Uh, I presume you can freely exchange between, um, but uh, track one is, I think, for the, the newbies to direct primary care. So you're going to have lectures like the legal challenges to starting your DPC practices. That will be Phil Eskew again. Um, you know, take control of your practice will be the next lecture uh, talking about psychology for personal wellness, the understand, understanding the challenges facing women who start up DPC and exploring designs of practice that allow a work-life balance. That will be mediated by Rebecca Bernard and Sharon McCoy-George, and following that, Dr. Bernard will have a signing for her new book. Uh, following the coffee break, they'll then, then get into marketing the practice. Again, we're talking about track one, which is for folks who are new to direct primary care. So marketing your practice, how to get people to walk through your door, right? Complements the lecture that came earlier in the day. Demonstrating messaging, networking strategies, selling yourself, and creating a pathway to getting enrollments. Again, and again, this all sounds kind of boring when somebody reads it to you. Um, but, you know, don't fall asleep because docs, don't get trained in this. This sounds dry to read, but as I read it as a doc, I look at this and say, nowhere in med school residency or afterward do you get an opportunity to learn these things. And if we can reach one day that our, our, our hopes get realized for a free market in medical care, truly free market, you got to know this stuff, just like other parts of the economy do. So that is track one. That's for the new, the folks who are new to direct primary care who are coming to this meeting looking for guidance. Track two, I believe, is going to be for folks who are a bit farther down the road who may have a direct primary care practice already. And so you're looking at overcoming logistical challenges for the established practice. Uh, Drs. Jennifer Harada and Jack Forbush uh, will be talking about, you know, how to keep your eye on success, how to overcome challenges, and that sounds good. Now, the next one is, speaks to me directly, uh, because we're talking about uh, a lecture on empowering specialists in direct primary care. This is a very difficult and challenging question to figure out how to integrate those, because specialists can't charge 
a regular fee per month and have the same long-term relationship that their primary care physician does. So how do you integrate specialists into a direct primary care network? So that's going to be Elena George, whom I know. Uh, she is an ear, nose, and throat doctor in Atlanta, a colleague of mine. Uh, she has a radio show on America's Web Radio as well. And if you listen to America's Web Radio, you may have heard her show as well. So that'll be good. Um, and then uh, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, corporate employed DPCs. We'll expound on that in a minute. You're listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Karuchak, your host this week at your service. Thank you very much for being with us and sticking with us all the way through three segments of the Doctor's Lounge. We're going to keep the spirit up. We're going to keep things high. We're going to continue to give you great information. Uh, remember, the Doctor Patient Care Foundation is the only healthcare policy think tank that is completely employed or completely staffed, completely composed of, or searching in three segments, I'm losing my, my brain function here. We are the only healthcare think tank composed of full-time practicing physicians. We see all patients, we see patients all day. We work nights sometimes, obviously. We work weekends sometimes, obviously. And in what little time we get, we push ourselves to study these issues and bring them, bring those issues to you in a number of ways, this show being one of them. The other way is this Direct, for, direct Primary Care Conference 3.0, which will be in Orlando next week. So we were finishing up the uh, the itinerary, the uh, the agenda for this, and we were coming up on the last of the lectures that is in Track 2 on Saturday morning, aimed at the more experienced direct primary care practitioner or uh, practice. And so the last one is, gonna, is a very important topic that talks about corporate direct primary care, employed direct primary care, so, and so I presume that means that you're going to scale the model up. Right. Remember that the, the pure sort of theoretical model for direct primary care is a solitary physician who takes patients one at a time and charges 50 to $75 a month for an individual, 125 150 for a family, uh, and provides and sort of practices as an individual. Uh, there have been attempts, and some of them have failed big time. There have been attempts to scale this up. 
And the hazard in scaling this up is what corporate entities, what government entities, i.e. Medicare, Medicaid, uh, which entities do you choose to associate yourself with to bring in much more money and a large number of patients? Um, you can certainly scale up the numbers quickly, but there are hazards. And historically, some of those hazards have caused DPC practices to fail. So this is going to be a very important uh, lecture to understand how you can scale something up without having the house of cards fall down. And finally, we're going to have a plenary session where we talk about case studies in direct primary care startups. It will be a panel discussion, uh, and the, you know that will be a panel discussion. Not much more you can say about that. And then there will be sort of a forward-looking where do we go from here, and that will pretty much close the meeting. So if you can find time in your schedule on short notice, Please come to the meeting. If you're a physician, please come. If you're not a doctor, uh, if you are a patient, a patient advocate, someone, anyone who will benefit from learning about this model, which is just about anybody with a heartbeat, I would think, um, it will be worth your time and worth your money to come to this meeting in Orlando. Uh, and uh, I, I invite you to get on the website. I, I'm not even sure there are any tickets still for sale, but if there are, please come on down. And uh, we'll be delighted to see you. We'll even interview you on the show if you want. And uh, and that pretty much covers the topic of uh, of what's going on uh, with the meeting next week. So we've got I don't know nine minutes left in this segment. So um, I've got a couple of other topics lined up to talk about. I think the first thing I will give you is sort of an outline of uh, of what it's like to visit the White House. Um, I found this very interesting because I had never visited the White House before. I'd never done anything that even loosely approximated visiting the White House before. And, uh, you know, silly goofball me, I, I kind of had these crazy notions in my head that, you know, you're going to walk through a security gate, walk up to the White House, ring the doorbell, Melania's going to answer the door, take it to the Oval Office, Donald's waiting for you. And it turns out that might actually happen, but only if your name is Kanye West. And we were there the same day. And, you know, strangely enough, the president blew us off for Kanye West. I guess I'll forgive him this time. Uh, it turns out the experience is far different. So you, you go to a gate and, and you go to an office uh, building that is inside the White House complex, uh, but is not that close to the actual White House proper. You go through all the two-level, high-level security and find yourself in a building with huge, tall ceilings, wide halls, and very few people. And Hal and I found ourselves in this meeting of discussion of healthcare policy. There were five folks doing the interviewing, five folks asking the questions. One is someone that we know uh, well, named Brian Blaze, who is uh, was at the Mercatus Center and is now the healthcare policy advisor to the president. Uh, one person from CMS and two people from the Federal Trade Commission, which uh, I found interesting. Uh, and then there were fifteen of us on the other side of the table, the proverbial table, so to speak. Uh, there was Dr. Hal and I. Uh, there was the uh, American Medical Association's liaison to the executive branch, and everyone else there was sort of in a similar role. They were liaisons to the executive branch from other major organizations, such as MGMA, which, as if you're a doctor, you know, uh, the American Hospital Association, Mercatus Center, uh, and some other uh, organizations that uh, that I was not familiar with. But the total came to about 15 
and the conversation was for about an hour, uh, and it was it was very interesting. Uh, Dr. Hal took the artistic license of just telling them what he thought they wanted to hear, despite what up front was a fairly narrow restrictions of topics. The major topic was certificate of need, and you've heard us talk about certificate of need multiple occasions on this show. Uh, in 2017, I think in February, there was a meeting at the Heritage Foundation where we talked about certificate of need, and Newt Gingrich was a guest, and. And, uh, and so if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you've heard us talk about certificate, certificate of need, uh, the, the anti-competitive nature that it imposes on our healthcare system and the harm that it causes. And so that was reviewed at length. Um, I got to say my piece on healthcare information technology, thanks to Hal's introduction. Uh, that was not a topic that was on the agenda. It was mainly certificate of need. There's also some concepts called any willing provider, which is a rule that says if you are willing to accept the terms of a managed care contract, they have to let you in. Uh, and then the third topic was something that has to do with how healthcare networks document that their networks of doctors can uh, are adequate. I should say, to handle the patients that they have uh, on their insurance plan. So that one was a bit more esoteric, and it, quite frankly, it didn't get a lot of conversation time. Um, but a very interesting experience indeed. Yeah, Hal and I have done it once. Dr. Lee has done it at least two or three times. And um, I have to say it was, it, was, it was worth doing, and it was very interesting, and um, look forward to more of them, hopefully. So it's one of those things you added up with... Dr. Lee's appearances on Sean Hannity, Dr. Lee's appearances to the White House, the meeting we have coming up with some very important guests. And I will say it one more time. I think it's, uh, it's a very exciting time for us and that, uh, you know, we've, we've certainly broken through a glass ceiling here. You know, whether this is a, as a major turning point in our odyssey, we shall see. Um, but at the moment, it seems to have a lot of potential. So, we'll switch topics again and go to something radically different. You know if you've listened to the show for any length of time that my bailing wick, Dr. Karuchek's bailing wick, is healthcare information technology. That's, that is the reason that this group tolerates my presence, and I'm certainly grateful that they do. Um, and there have been some interesting developments in health information technology coming online from a place that you might expect from a company that eh, you might have heard of. It's just this little known company called Apple and a product you've probably never heard of called the Apple Watch and something that's gone on with the Apple Watch that has profound, in my opinion, medical implications. Uh, the Apple Watch, I forget now, I should look this up before I started talking about it, but I think it's the Apple Watch 4, if memory serves. Um, and it just came out, I think they announced it in, in the Apple's usual September announcement. Uh, you know, we were all sort of looking for improvements to the iPad and didn't see those, but they were talking about the phone, of course, and the watch. Um, but there's one thing about this Apple Watch that is very important with respect to healthcare, and it has to do with the medical capabilities of the Apple Watch. Uh, the Apple Watch now has the capability of giving you an EKG tracing of your heart while you're wearing it with no add-ons, no additional things to buy. And most interestingly, it is FDA approved. And that breaks 
into new territory. To my knowledge, no other consumer device, um, wearable electronics, has had a function related to healthcare that has been FDA approved. And in fact, both the FDA and the manufacturers, Apple, Fitbit, Garmin, you know, there's a whole bunch of other ones that you can probably name faster than I can. Uh, but they've been very careful to step away from those things. You know, they talk about giving you heart rate, but they're careful to say, this is just kind of infotainment and, you know, don't take it medically. You take it with a grain of salt. And if you have any questions, you go see your doctor and that's fine. Apple has taken a bold step in not only creating a, a technology that allows you to get an EKG reading. Now, how do they do that? Well, the app, the watch is, of course, strapped to your wrist. And as you know from the Apple Watch, there are a bunch of sensors on the bottom of that watch case that interface with the skin. And we know that one of those sensors provides heart rate, but now they have one of those sensors as one of the poles in the EKG. So it picks up, it, it's electrically connected to your arm, and then you touch the crown, the little thing you spin. You touch the crown with the index finger on your opposite hand. Now the watch has an electrical lead on both arms. And with an electrical lead on both arms, it now becomes possible to create a rudimentary EKG. Now, it's not a fully diagnostic EKG. It's not what they call a 12-lead EKG that your cardiologist gets or they get in the emergency room if you, you are afraid you got a problem with your heart in the middle of the night. Um, but it's what we call in medicine a rhythm strip. Now, that's very important because a rhythm strip can tell you the difference between a normal heartbeat, something we call a normal sinus rhythm for those of you who aren't docs, and something called atrial fibrillation, which many of you, doctor, or not have heard of. And so Apple is now stepping out with an app that can look at your EKG tracing and make the call, tentatively, of whether or not you are in sinus region and atrial fibrillation. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, lots of people have unexpected strokes every year because atrial fibrillation changes how your heartbeat and makes it a very irregular heartbeat instead of a regular heartbeat and that leads to blood clot forming in the walls of the heart and if one of those blood clots breaks loose and travels up the arteries to your brain you get a stroke and the tragedy is if you can diagnose atrial fibrillation before the stroke happens you can in most cases prevent the stroke with blood thinners so if the Apple Watch contributes to an increased early diagnosis of atrial fibrillation through an app, through a consumer-facing, non-insurance, you buy it with your own money without a doctor's approval and without insurance, device, you now have broken ground in a very, very new, potentially highly productive place, cost-effective screening in the private sector of a disease which, diagnosed early, can prevent tragedy. We're at the end of the segment. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to the Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. They're actually con artists because they know how quality this man is and they've destroyed a man's reputation and they want to destroy it even more. And I think people are going to see that in the midterms. There you hear, of course, if you don't know already, the words of our President Donald Trump talking about the Supreme Court nomination process. Now, what does that have to do with health care policy? This is the Doctors' Lounge Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, for this week. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. What does the Supreme Court nomination process, as familiar as we are with it these days, have to do with health care policy, which is the mandate of this show? Well, it turns out that our... Washington politicians, with all of their malicious talent, both Democrat and Republican, have managed to figure out a way to hurt the health care reform process by using the Supreme Court nomination process to suck up all the oxygen in the room. 
Uh, with me is Dr. Lee Gross. You've heard him on the show before. I'm delighted to have him. He's the president of our Docs for Patient Care Foundation. And he's going to catch us up with all of his adventures and misadventures in Washington that actually manages somehow to connect the dots between the Supreme Court and healthcare policy. So, Dr. Lee, the floor is yours. Tell us what you know. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, great chatting with you again. It's uh, been a little while, so uh, appreciate you letting me catch up. Yeah, so uh, so I guess we've coined a, a new phrase that I was cabin today. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as uh, many of your audience may know, um, I was scheduled to testify uh, uh, in this, actually today, in the uh, Senate Health Committee. That's the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee of the U.S. Senate. Uh, and they were holding a series of hearings on uh, health care, uh, reducing health care costs, which is fantastic because up until now, the only conversations in Washington were about coverage. So this is actually one of the first series of, of, of conversations about how do you actually reduce the cost of health care, what drives the increased cost, and what lowers it. So uh, I was thrilled to, to get that that invitation to testify. Um, and I know you're a, a technology guy, so you'll appreciate this. Thank goodness for my Apple Watch because I made it all the I made it all the way to my uh, uh, my airport two hours away today. Um, and um, I uh, put all my stuff into the bin, including my phone, and I was about to run it through the airport scanner when my Apple Watch started vibrating that I was getting a phone call. And so I grabbed my phone out of the bin, and it turns out it was Washington calling to cancel the hearing uh, because of the mayhem, because of the mayhem and madness that uh, uh, was surrounding the, this uh, Supreme Court hearing. Uh, they just, they were concerned for safety. They were concerned that nobody was going to be able to attend, uh, and basically just sort of indefinitely postponed it. Not sure when we're going to get that scheduled again, but. No, so. well, that's, that's so, that is so sad. That is so depressing. What, what, did they get specific about the safety concerns? I, I don't really, I guess I'm just not smart uh, enough to fully grasp that. The demonstrators, I guess the safety concern really kind of came into conversation afterwards. I was talking to one of the, to one of the staffers, unrelated specifically to the health committee. Uh, so there were some major protests going on at the Capitol, uh, and, and you know they expressed their own personal safety concerns. These are our Hill staffers. Uh, just things are getting pretty raucous up there. Uh, and just really, I, I just didn't think, you know, they just wanted it. That's not a, an ideal setting to be holding a, a bipartisan hearing on health care policy when you could put it off to a more, uh, a date down the line where you can actually have a, a real conversation about this stuff. So it's unfortunate because, you know, lots of preparation went into this. So uh, tell us what it takes. I mean, this is not just that you just book a plane, cancel your clinic for the day and, and, and head up there and have a chat. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, so so the the instructions were relatively benign, basically saying uh, submit a written testimony as short or as long as you wish, uh, followed by a one-page summary, and uh, be prepared to give a five-minute uh, summary uh, orally of your testimony. And then be prepared for five minutes of questioning by each of the 22 members of the Senate Health Committee. Um, and so I 
proceeded to prayer about uh, oh, 15 pages of written testimony uh, and tried to come up with a way to explain everything about direct primary care uh, in five minutes and make a you know make a, a splash uh, for everyone. And then, you know, essentially what you're doing is you're preparing for uh, questions from a panel of people, many of whom uh, intend to be running for president, uh, many whom are trying to make a, uh, a statement on health care policy, and essentially you're preparing for uh, what the Republicans probably want to be the closing argument on health care prior to midterms and the, and the Democrats basically saying, you know, using this as an example to say why Republicans should no longer uh, control uh, control the conversation on health care policy. So, you know, to prepare for this uh, requires a lot of, uh, of preparation, uh, you know, preparation understanding the content, preparation uh, just understanding what questions you're going to be asked and how not to sort of, to, you know, walk into a trap. And also, even just getting to the point where you're invited, you have to go through a series of interviews. Uh, initially, just an interview for the person that, that sort of found you. Uh, and then you have to, to go through a yeah, Republican uh, uh, interview. And then you have to go through the Democrat interview. And if everybody feels like you're a, yeah, an acceptable witness, then, then the formal invitation comes. And that's when the real preparation starts. So uh, this process played out you know, over the course of probably two months. Uh, to, prepare, to, to prepare for, you know, this one hearing. Well, and, and, and uh, countless hours of prep. I mean, it was more than just writing your testimony, I'm sure. You had to prepare for all possible questions, prepare your five-minute summary. I mean, it's not one of these things that you can ad-lib very much, I imagine. Yeah, well, I like I like to wing it sometimes. So um, <laughs> you're a brave man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not afraid to, sh- to shoot from the hip because you know you never know what the opening statements are going to be like and whether or not you're going to have to sort of to audible and and respond to some uh, some comments. But nonetheless, I of course have was was well prepared uh, for this, and so I hope they do reschedule this sometime in the in the not too distant well, future, so we can it's a shame have a chance because you know I, I and I didn't have a chance you know to quote chapter and verse on this, but an article I read recently said that that healthcare policy was the only. Uh, topic out of a long list of topics that that a majority of American voters in the survey said was uh, important to the midterms. It, it, it came up as number one. Healthcare did so. Uh, it's sad. I mean, the odds of, the, of of seeing this before the midterms is probably zero. Uh, I wish I felt good about your prospects of getting rescheduled at all. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. I don't have high expectations, but. Um I want to point out one thing, you know, just very clear because, you know, we're about to have a referendum on basically single-payer health care. Um, we can call it Medicare for All, although I think that term is, is disingenuous because they're, they're not proposing a Medicare for All type situation. So I, I don't concede that term. Uh, but what I would throw out very simply is if you want your health care controlled by the people that are running the Supreme Court nomination process and the confirmation process, then that is single-payer health care. Um, those are the same people that will be making your health care decisions for you. The same people that are running the circus up there uh, are the people that will decide what gets paid for, what doesn't get paid for, and how much money is allocated to it, uh, and who gets hired and who gets fired to make those decisions and runs that entire system for you. So if you want that to be your only choice in health care, your single-payer in health care, then 
then you should. Then you deserve what you get. <laughs> you deserve what you get because uh, you know this will play out uh, in every living room uh, across the country. You know when your healthcare decision and 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 don't just think this is a Republican thing. I mean this pendulum will continue to swing back and forth, and it may be the Republicans in power now, um, but it's going to be the Democrats in power. Um, whether it be midterms or eventually, it, it, it's going to happen. And so there will be a constant fight uh, over health care along the lines of what we're seeing in Washington right now. So uh, you may be on the winning side of it this time, you'll be on the losing side of it next time, and as a nation, we'll all be on the losing side of it. Um, so, Well, um, clearly these folks, Lee, place no value on human life, whether it's the single life of a Supreme Court justice nominee and his spouse and his children and his family and friends, they certainly, they, they clearly place political advantage over the life of one person. Uh, they will not hesitate at all to put their own advantage and their own power over the health of Every American, there's no no question about it. So, if you want a clear example of both competence and intent, uh, just look at what's happening. There's no question about it. And I think that needs to be a, a bipartisan day because, again, it just yes, who, who the person is that that's putting the, the candidate forward. Because you know, again, if it's the Democrats running a smear campaign now, it's the Republicans that do it next time. And again, if you want that to be in the middle of your health care choices, then the single payer is the way to go. But if you want, you know, just if you want, you know, independence, freedom of choice, freedom of choosing your doctors without that nonsense in the middle of your health care decisions, then you need to be supporting the kind of initiatives that we're fighting for. Absolutely. I mean, you and I learned this together. Well, you quicker than I did, but it, but uh, we learned a long time ago through this process. Uh, we both started off when Obamacare was getting litigated, thinking that we knew who the good guys were and who the bad guys were, uh, and it turns out that we were both wrong. It turns out they're all bad guys. It was a trick question. And... Um, <laughs> So, yeah, you know, it, it, there's no question about it. This is both a Democrat and Republican problem. And, you know, after a dozen trips to D.C., I, I finally had to, to realize that. Well, I think I was probably the last one to figure it out. But, uh, you know, I think we all understand that, yeah, at the moment, you know, one shoe is on the Democrat's foot and the other's on the Republican foot. But as you aptly pointed out, that can switch over one election. Right. So, in any case, uh, you know it's it's just disappointing uh, that uh, that you know we're in this position. I, I was I was planning, I was hoping to be talking to you next week about how the testimony went and and what you learned and who you talked to and and uh, I was looking forward to pulling sound bites of your testimony and playing them and and saying well what do you think here who I reacted to a certain way there but you know hopefully we'll get that opportunity sometime in the future um, I wish I was optimistic about what that was going to be so uh, Lee we're coming up on the end of this segment we've got some other things to talk about that you and I talked about so I'm hoping you'll stick around and we can do another 13 minutes you're listening to the doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network. 